Welcome to episode 762 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right, I'll take along to episode 762 of I'm Talk of Coach John Newsom, Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm good, Bevan, and you? I'm pretty good, actually. Pretty good. Do you know why I'm pretty good, John? Because you got a new mic stand, and of course you gave yourself your new mic stand, and you gave me the old shitty one. Is that why you're good? No, it wasn't really about that. It was just kind of that the one that went there first, and I, this one went there Sure. I'm not sure, really sure if that makes much of a difference to my life, but hey, <laughs> that, that, actually that is the reason. I was like, I'm going to screw John today. That was what I was thinking. There you go. Yep, that's the only reason I'm good in life. I know how you roll. I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by our fantastic patrons. And let's go with Rob Fancy Feet. Fancy, fast fancy feet, or triple F, Dallymore. I think we're going to have to change Rob's name. Rob, I'm not a bit much of a social media expert, but when I go on Facebook, almost every single time, Rob Dallymore is live streaming his uh, his Zwift racing. Oh, really? He's actually racing like bloody five times a week, I reckon. But and good on you, Rob. You look like he's smoking it. And, and do you reckon many people actually watch him? Because it's like it's, Facebook's funny. I don't spend much time on there. I, I have to with business a little bit. Uh, but I, whenever I go Messenger, because my phone, my daughter will call me through Messenger, so I jump on Messenger maybe three times a week. Whenever I'm on Messenger, my good friend Mid, is, you see when your friends are on there because they have the green mm. little light, she's always on there. Mm. And I feel like giving Mid a text like, mate, maybe I need to spend this time on Messenger. <laughs> but maybe, hey, who, who am I to judge? But no, watching, watching somebody else ride on Zwift is not particularly exciting. However experienced riders like Rob, he does a lot of team time trials and oh, stuff. Okay. And so learning how the team works and things like that um, could be quite interesting. Well, it's like Twitch. Is your boy into Twitch? Don't know. <laughs> Don't think so. So Twitch is like a YouTube, but for gamers. Mm-hmm. Um, he probably is then. And kids go on there and just watch other people play games. Oh, he does that. And, and he does it on YouTube. Yeah, and there's, kids, there's people out there who just have huge audiences mm. who are just watching games talking crap. Mm. You know, we live in interesting times, John. Uh, and, oh, you go second. Meredith, a Big Bopper Bachman. We've got Anthony, the long train running weeks. And Mark, double, 009 Jones. Mark Richard Jones. We met him in Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah, nice guy. Uh, okay, this week we've got some news. We've got Hot Topic. We did have an interview and they pulled out for the second week in a row. <laughs> About 10 minutes before COVID. the show. They got COVID, unfortunately. So... What we're going to do is I'm going to actually chuck a segment. I did a podcast a couple of weeks ago, which may be the, one of the biggest pieces of podcasting I've done where the feedback I've got has been absolutely mind-blowing. So it obviously had a note, and it's kind of about it's very much about me and change in my life. Um, so I thought, because we are kind of last minute, I thought I'd chuck that in there for you. So you, you know, if you are thinking about some change in your life, there's some good stuff in there. And then we've got Geek Out with Thanks to Thorsten. We have. I asked a question. We were sort of discussing, you know, how fast are the under forties? Uh, under fifties. No, under fifties or over? And uh, uh, well, we did under fifties. Who had, you know, sub nine under fifty? Oh no, we're doing this, fi- over this 60s. time. We're doing what we're we doing. This time, I think it was. Go. Uh, I should be. No, prepared. it was over fifty to get to because it was Arnold was trying to go to under sub nine over fifty. Yep. And so it must be over sixty. I'm thinking that's what I put in the show notes. Okay. I'll double check that before we go there. Because you didn't actually put it in the notes, I was guessing. But I was thinking based on the times, it's probably over 60. I'll double check that before we get there. We are well prepared today. (laughs) Uh, John's got a high five on random running tips, uh, winger of the week and questions and answers at the end. Well, the big race that happened over the weekend was Challenge Miami. And it's probably the second biggest race we've had this year when it comes to the field. 
Um, I think I predicted it pretty well last week. I think it's the biggest race. Have we had, have we had any other races well, this year? Oh, wasn't it? Daytona was last year. Oh, it was, was it last year? Was it? Okay, first tw- race this year. We're 2021 now. Okay, in the last 12 months. Yeah. Um, was my predi- I didn't get to see it, but was my prediction right that Starkowitz helped with Florida? Uh, yeah, it was actually. Yeah. Yes, correct. Yeah. Because they did, he came through on the bike. He was well down out of the swim, and he's normally a good swimmer. So where did he finish up? Andrew Starkowitz, ninth. So he um, he was twenty one thirty five. He was over a minute behind, and he's a good swimmer. He's normally coming out with those leaders, but he did ride through uh, along with uh, Magnus Ditlev, and they got to the front. Frodo was at the front at that stage, and they uh, were laying the hammer down, and Frodo went with them and dropped everybody else. And unfortunately, that makes the race pretty bloody boring for the rest of the time because Jan Fredino, uh, how much did he run into those guys? Uh, five minutes into them. And that's pretty much what... Um, into the into the guys who were on the bike with? Uh, yeah, and that's pretty much what Belinda Granger said in the, co- the commentary. Yeah, she was trying to be nice, but she said, well, these guys are going to need five or six minutes on Frodo to be uh, to be a chance here. And she was right. Uh, so it was... It was awesome to watch um, in terms of the guy's side. Was it? But it was pretty predictable. Awesome to see, but it was very predictable. The race for second was awesome, uh, but the race for first was pretty So from much what I can over. understand, Lionel came out of the water a bit behind, biked a pretty strong bike. Where did he come off the bike in what place? Uh, I'm gonna, he w- certainly wasn't second. I'm going to say he was probably about, I'm going to take a guess, maybe about six, seven, eight, somewhere yeah. around, around about that. He w- maybe in the top just in the top five, but he was a little way back. He had plenty of work to do. And you've got to love Lionel Sanders because he outran Jan Fredino. And this is a compliment, not putting him down. He looks like shit. We all know that. But he runs so fast. He's a tough bugger, isn't he? Outrunning Jan Fredino. Now, Jan Fredino wasn't under pressure, but Lionel Sanders still had the second fastest run split of the day uh, out of a really stacked quality field. So good on him. In fairness, Jan probably wasn't at the end. Yeah, you know, like he probably could have run a faster run, but in saying that, Lionel was just tough. Mm. You know, like if it's that kind of thing, who would you want to go to war with? Mm. You know, and I tell you what, if I'm going to war, Lionel Sanders is on, on my side. He was. Uh, he, he said he was really happy with his race. Um, but he just got beaten by somebody who's uh, you know one of the best of all time, if not the best of all time. So he Lionel said, "Lionel this you know, year, Kona." Uh, it'd be good for second, you know, in terms of you know, the fight for second. But if Jan Fredino is at full fitness. Races to his potential. No one's even going to come remotely close. So, uh, so yeah, Jan Fredino took it out. Lionel Sanders was second, and Ben Canute was probably a little bit of a surprise in third place. He was kind of he smacked it in the swim and was le- leading in the swim. Uh, lost a little bit of time on the bike and had a steady run. You know, losing a bit of time to uh, some of the others, but it was pretty close for for second place. He was only uh, eleven seconds in front of. Chris Lieferman, uh, and then it was pretty close all the way behind there. So, in terms of the spread from second, he was two forty one thirty five. Uh, there was only about a minute twenty back to seventh place. So, just just a couple of interesting points. Matt Hetson took out the fastest run, and uh, he actually was f- slightly faster than Lionel Sanders. He did a fifty two fifty uh, eight. What was the distance again? It was the run. Can't remember. Okay, but it wasn't 10k, obviously. It was. It must have been yeah. about 16, was it? I think it was 16, something like that. Oh, it's a good effort, 16, isn't it? 16, 17, something like that. And then, uh, interestingly, Starkowitz wasn't the fastest, fastest rider. Magnus, I'm going to say Ditvel. Uh, Ditlev, yeah. Yeah, he was a beast. He, he, he was actually nearly, oh, he's only a few seconds faster than Starkowitz, but that's pretty good effort because Starkowitz we know is the beast. But Matt Hansen was miles off the uh, the pace coming off the bike. Why? Um, because like he was like 
seven minutes behind, probably nine minutes behind the top riders. What happened there? Well, you've got to remember, this is a very... We get excited because it's a quality field, but it's March time. Yep, yep. And these athletes, a lot of them are going to want to be peaking in October. Um, and you know, who knows what the hell is going to happen this year. So he certainly wasn't in the same bike form that he had in Daytona. Daytona but that run, you know, he's still running you know, f- nearly a minute quicker than Jan Fredino, quicker than Lionel Sanders. So uh, it's... Impressive that he ran so hard for 13th place, not no, not knowing, but he didn't get any prize money, uh, and he was, I think he was, wasn't even in the top 20 coming off the bike, so good on him for sticking with it. But quality field, you got the likes of Bart Arnott's down there in 15th, Ben Hoffman in 16th, um, yeah, it was uh, some, it was a quality field. So just, we'll go to the female race, Jodie Stimson, Stimson took it out, um, that looks like an interesting race. Could have been a hell of a lot more interesting. So the main story here was Lucy Charles Barclay got a penalty on the bike for underpassing oh. someone. So underpassing is when you pass on the left-hand side, which normally out on the road, you would never even contemplate doing. But she did it on the track. It was, it was against the rules. You can understand how there's a little bit of confusion there because you know when you're on a track and you're going left and right and the riders aren't necessarily keeping to the left, you can totally understand how it happens, but apparently they got pre-warned. You cannot pass on the inside. Okay. Well, she did, two-minute penalty, and the difference at the end the between her and yeah. Jodie Simpson is less than two minutes. So it would have been a hell of a finish uh, because Jodie Simpson was easily well clear, and if she hadn't been, if she was chasing down, she would have had to run harder. Lucy Charles might have been marginally more motivated. Um, so it was a it was a good race, but once Jodie Simpson cleared out, it was was pretty obvious who was going to win, and she won convincingly by nearly a minute and a half. Now third place, Jackie Herring. I've just got to give Jodie Simpson oh, a bit more right. love here because she's a, she was a top ITU athlete. Uh, she won the Commonwealth Games, I think, when it was in the UK, and was a prolific, you know, podium getter on the the World Triathlon Series for for a long, long time. I'm pretty sure she missed the last Olympic Games. She didn't get selected just because the women's yeah. GBR Packed. team is just so stacked, and she's missed out again this time round, despite being a really consistent performer in pretty much any other team in the world, maybe with the exception of America, she would be just the, the number one pick. So good to see her racing well. She got smoked in Daytona, uh, and she's come back and you know put in a much better performance on the bike, and looks like she's getting her running legs back. So she could be a you know a really serious seventy point three contender for um, lots of races, especially when a bit longer. Uh, yeah, I mean, her bike still clearly needs a little bit of work. She's competitive on the bike, but, you know, Lucy Charles put nearly a minute into her on the bike. Um, so she'll how, be... How far was the bike? Um, how far was the bike? It, was it took him an hour 35, so I can't, I can't quite remember. It's 50 okay. or 50K, 60K, something like that. Okay. So really, really good performance for her. She looked awesome, and it was an emotional win as well because she um, lost her father last year so mm. and wasn't... Uh, I think it was a bit of a shock. So, yeah, she did She did awesome. Lucy Charles had a good, strong race. Jackie Herring um, came through on the run with a 101.32. Uh, so really good race for her. And I'd say the big surprise to me was the Sarah Perez Sala. And she kept up with Lucy Charles in the swim, which nobody has ever done before on the female side of racing that I can recall. Um, maybe Lauren Brandon's just about kept up a couple of times. I'm not quite sure. But I'm thinking, oh, she's going to be a great swimmer. She's going to get her pants pulled down on the bike. But then she was a beast on the bike. She looked amazing. Really aero position. Great technique. Just smoked it and was in the lead coming off the bike. And when they came off the bike 
together, I think it was. But then Lucy Charles had her penalty. And she's not the strongest runner. She ran a 105, but she wasn't terrible, and she was leading for a long time. Uh, so she is somebody to watch. I, I do believe she's trying to make the Spanish Olympic team, uh, so we may not see her doing long course um, this year, but uh, keep a lookout for her. If she can just improve that run a little bit, she is 33, I think I saw, so it's not like she's a you know 20-year-old ex-swimmer. She's sort of getting on a little bit but uh, she could do really well at Ironman I think not not a Kona contender but you know somebody could win Ironman races okay so the distances were 1.6k swim or one mile bike I uh, swim 62.7k bike ride and then a 16.9k run so nearly 17k mm. in the run Few, few of the, on the female side, few of the other results, Paula Finlay, who crushed Daytona, uh, she struggled on the run and only finished in 7th place, Sarah Crowley was 8th, Heather Jackson came through with a reasonably good run in ninth. and Meredith Kessler is still hanging in there, and she got 10th place. So Disappointing results? Who, 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 like I know you're saying at this time of the year it's hard to know who's in peak condition, um, but some, who would you think would be, mm, it's a bit of a bummer. Well, the big disappointment was Anne Haug not racing, so I turned the coverage on, and I'm like, where is she? Her name was actually listed and there was no split coming up, no split coming up. And it's like, oh, she DNF'd. And then I went and looked last night and she's apparently she's got COVID. She made it over there because I saw her posting things and she's got COVID, so not racing, which is a complete bummer. Question I have for you, John, is uh, I went up on Saturday morning. I had to go coach, so I basically didn't have much time to watch it. But I thought I had like half an hour before I went coaching, so I was doing some other like, emails and stuff. And I thought I'll just chuck it on the coverage as, as I'm doing some work. And then I jumped on, you had to pay, I think, $2 US. Uh, it was $4.99 New Zealand. I think it was $2.99 American. Okay. Um, so I wasn't going to buy it because I was just about to leave. Um, How did you feel about having to pay for it? Uh, I was fine. It's like renting a movie kind of thing. You know, if it had been 25 bucks, I probably would have thought twice about it. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's not the way to build an audience charging a small amount for that. They're not going to, they're going to have, I think they're massively going to reduce their potential audience size. Yeah. And you're not going to recoup that much income. Bevan was asking before we started how many people were watching, and I, I and it, it may well have got higher than this, but I saw at uh, one stage twelve thousand eyeballs were sort of watching, which was which is, which which means they bring in about fifty k. Yeah, which I thought mm, that's actually probably a few more than I thought, given you had to pay for it. Yep. Um, so even if they got up to you know fifty thousand, it's still not going to sort of pay the bills. Um, but they may get higher than that if. It was free, free to air sort of coverage. So now, I'm fascinated to see. Did, did has, anyone around the world let us know? Did the Daytona coverage get put on TV anywhere around the world? Well, I saw. I, I've seen a, a forty to sixty minute highlights package. Oh, where? Uh, like I something. saw it. Well, I don't know where. I, I saw it on YouTube, I think. But I'm pretty sure it got on some sort of networks. And this one apparently is going to be on NBC, which. Okay, when when they're case, talking NBC, I don't know what that means, whether that means the main NBC channel no, or be, sports like sport, or somebody yeah, yeah. channel. But anyway, it, that, that's like it's not an exciting watch. It, it, but a 40 minutes highlights package, I think, would look really good. It was a cool course. I, I was expecting it just to be laps around the track, like they had in Daytona. But they actually went on the inside of the track on the access road, so it had lots of twists and turns. So the bike was actually um, a lot more interesting for the athletes, and it, it wasn't just a lap after lap after lap after lap. Uh, so that was that was good. The coverage was was like Daytona. It was I thought it was really really good. Um, people were up in arms, Bevan. About what? Because. There was a crossover between the males and the females. Yep. So the males were starting their swim when the females were probably about halfway on the run. Oh. And they, they, they switched to the males race. Oh, fair and enough. And people were just going ballistic, yeah, going, oh, I want to see the women's race. I want to see the women's race. And I, I was 
I was, was a bit frustrated myself also, but I kind of assumed that there's going to be a lot more action starting in the men's start of their race than there is at that stage in the women's race. And they're going to have a producer sitting there. If there was any action about to happen on the females' race or any lead changes, they would switch back. They did do split screens for, for times, okay. which was good. Um, so people were getting up in arms, but I kind of thought, uh, why, why, it's not but, perfect. Why, why did they have the split? Well, like, what was the time, how much longer in the females' race was there? Well, it was midway through the run. So um, what, they had another 20 minutes ago? Yes, um, my assumptions were you're trying to reduce the length of the total coverage. Yeah, uh, 20 minutes? And you're trying to finish maybe before it got dark, I'm, I'm assuming. And you may be thinking of the European audience, you know, it's going to start getting late in the night from them and that's where they're probably going to be drawing a lot of their, their eyeballs. So that was my thinking. Um, it wasn't perfect, but I think people just need to chill a How bit. How many races a year are you willing to pay five bucks for? Oh, not that many in terms of, I'd only pay for quality like that. If it was just a regular 70.3 or a challenge race where there might be yeah. four or five different pros and there's not really going to be much of a race, probably not interested. Do, you, do we think this is setting a trend? I hope so. Yeah. With quality fields, good professional coverage, and that's the th- that's difference with this one. They have multiple cameras out there. It's good coverage. If it's just like the Ironman live coverage where you're just rolling along next to the lead person with one camera, not really interested. Do you think they'll do it in Kona this year? Do you think this opens up the idea to chat um, to Ironman? Jeepers, if they can charge five bucks and they're getting 12,000 for Kona, we normally get, normally when I go on for a Kona coverage, you're getting 300K, people mm-hmm. watching it live. If, if they could pull off, and, and let's be honest, the people who are watching Kona probably are willing to pay five bucks. Mm. Let's say you only get 200K, you know, five bucks, it's going to bring them in a bit of money. Yes. It's just a totally different beast when you're covering a race at a racetrack compared to covering a race in Hawaii, the but they Middle cover of it. nowhere. They cover it. So, so but like, you need so many more cameras to, to do the same level. Oh, but of no, I'm saying that. So, let's say they pull off 200,000 people at five bucks. Um, you a know, million. there's a million bucks here. Yeah. So, mm. if, you, if you think of that, um, it's easy money for them. Mm. You know what I mean? And, and they probably, even if they just gave us what they always give us, would, mm. there be a, would, there be a, would you be annoyed if you got the same coverage you get every year at Kona and they charge five bucks? Not five. No. Again, if it got to. Um, I think I don't know what people's price points are, but I think five sphere. Yeah, but I think if you start getting above say thirty bucks, then people are going to go, oh, don't know about that. that." Yeah, Yeah. well, I I wonder if this is kind of makes Iron Man go. You know what? Why don't we charge five bucks for Kona? Mm. Because the the three hundred thousand people who turn up to watch Kona every year, they're the geeks. Mm. They're the people who love the sport. Mm. Dropping five bucks from ninety, probably most of them, majority of them, is probably gonna be, like I would. I yeah. go, oh, it's five bucks. I don't care. Um, as you say, there is a price point where it goes out, but it's an easy way from I'm in to make an extra million bucks. And then they could put all that to the pro prize money. And I'm sure they would, <laughs> you know, because there's a history that they look after their pros. So just it will be interesting to see if this sets a trend. Uh, and a trend is not bad because it's fair. You know, they're oh, I'm happy pay per view. Yeah, uh, for something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, we also just a couple of other things. Oh, it was pretty funny. Some rookie mistakes were made. So firstly, uh, Ben Canute, he was coming out of the swim. He was leading out of the swim. I'm not sure if he's leading out of T1, but he jumped on his bike and it was a pre- it was a fairly narrow sort of runway to get onto your bike where you're mounting. And he like rode into a, uh, a cone. Oh, no. To his credit, he didn't fall off his bike, um, but he got a bit sideways. Bottle went flying and things like that. that was... Classic number one. Classic number two was Lucy Charles, and this was far worse because she crashed on bike dismount. Oh, she was no. coming up the dismount line and just went flying over her handlebars. And I was like, oh, my God. Was she obviously God. all right? 
Well, she was limping coming out of after her serving her two-minute penalty, so I'd say it did take a little bit out of her, but then she seemed to get going again. But yeah, these guys, like most of you, have not raced for 15 to 18 months for some of them, and uh, there were some rookie errors out there. Okay, we had challenge, oh, sorry, we had Dubai 70.3 happening over the weekend. No real surprise here. Danielle Reeve took it out in a comfortable win. Yeah, she did. Um, she did have company for the bike ride. Imogen Simons uh, outswam her by a few seconds and then looks like they more or less rode together and then Daniela Reef uh, pulled out a 116.50. That's pretty solid for a half marathon and when you've got the guys running 110 to 111, we know it's always super fast over there but pretty impressive return to racing. So she was slower than predicted in the swim on the bike but faster than predicted on the run according to Torsten's ratings. So she took it out six minutes in front of Imogen Simons and Sarah Spence in third, another three minutes back. Uh, boys' side of things? Boys' side of things. Uh, we had a bit of a few, few people didn't sort of necessarily fire at this race. Race, 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 but you look at the, the time. So basically, the winner took it out in 3-3-3, and then we had one, two, three, four, five, six, five people in 3-3-4. Yeah, so, so it close was, racing. It was very close on the bike. I saw a bit of bike coverage, and I'll go over that in a second. But Daniel Backengard took it out. He won one of those previous Ironman races. I think it was Austria, um, maybe a couple of years ago, uh, or the year before last, when we actually had some racing. Twenty three, twenty one on the swim. Fast bike times. One fifty five, forty four, and then a one ten to win a three thirty three oh two. Pretty pathetic prize money over there, only two two and a half thousand dollars. Now the race for second, we'll have a link on our show notes. Will we, Bevan? I put a link on the, in our show notes for what? For the the race for second place. Have you, did you not see that link? Yeah, I, did watch see, I watched it. it. I did watch it. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was bloody it was, impressive. Yeah. So we had a three way sprint for second place between Philippe Azevedo, Rasmus Svenningsen, and Andrea Salzburg, and it was. Epic. They were literally, one guy was in front and then one came sprinting over the top and then the guy who was in fourth jumped over the top of third uh, and they were just gunning it and they came around the corner into the finishing chute and it was like, it looked like that might have been a transition area as well. There was bags down the side and they were gunning it and so there was only two seconds covering second through to fourth. Uh, and then there was a bit of a drop back, but as Bevan said, it was all pretty tight. I saw, saw some footage of the bike ride. Good effort. The guys, they, they were killing themselves to get to finish. Especially they were, the two guys behind. The guy in front had a couple of metres, so mm. he had to push. But the guy's going for third. Yeah, oh. he, he, he looked, he was running ugly, yeah. but he still managed to get over the second place, uh, the fourth place. And then the fourth place made a surge to come back at him and didn't quite get there on the line. Yeah. Uh, so I saw a little bit of footage of the bike ride and I actually commented on, on, on it because... It looked like the guys were really drafting and they were smoking it. Those roads over there must be so smooth and so fast. They were absolutely caning it. And when you're riding 155, you're going over 45 kilometres an hour. Uh, what is that in miles? Whatever it is in miles, it's bloody fast. And all of them were doing it. Uh, the fastest bike time, 152.57. wonder what the... F- that's got to be right up there as the fastest... Ever for a half iron distance it's race, decent, isn't it? Yeah, it's flying. Uh, so they are absolutely killing it. That guy did swim twenty seven twenty four. So good on him. He bloody rode rode up to them. Uh, people were, were were commenting on this post, and to be fair, there was one guy who was on there who was actually one of the bike referees, and everyone was saying they were drafting. It was bullshit. Why can't the officials do anything? And this guy was actually an official out there going, I was actually with them for eighty kilometres. 
and I think he said they gave out three penalties and we were looking at things really, really closely and they were 12 metres. Okay. He said, you know, we use the lines on the road and that is our 12 metres, so we're judging yep. what it looks like. So the camera angle really confuses things and we saw this in Daytona last year as well yeah. when they're riding around the track and they had cones there and I'm like, that's not 20 metres yeah. and they're not stupid. They can measure 20 metres and all the guys were sticking to it. It just looks a lot closer than what it is. However, riding at 12 metres in a pace line like that you are getting a significant advantage. So that's why they were, one of the reasons why they were riding so fast. And if you weren't on that train, the likes of Joe Skipper, they are out the back door. And uh, the unless you can, you're an absolute beast or you go on a suicide mission, which sounds like what Joe did, then you have got no chance. <laughs> so there was a few people there that really got smoked. Uh, there were quality athletes. Like you got Michael Weiss was way down in 24th place. Uh, you had... Um, who did I see? Andy Busher down there in 14th place. Um, Ivan Rana, 23rd. So it was a pretty solid field. Joe Skipper had a DNF, unfortunately. He's building up. Yeah, yeah. Three of your big guns, Joe Skipper, Rudy Wild, and Peter Hemerick, are all DNF'd. Okay, so uh, coming up next is, oh no, so we also had Florida Anvil Ultra. I'll just give this a quick plug because yeah. I, I saw it there last week and I wasn't sure week. if it was going ahead. So it looks like in the double iron distance race they had over there, David Oh no, Josh Kika took it out. Double Ironman, 27 hours, 38 minutes and 5 seconds. And the first female looks like Melissa Pawrowski. And she did 32 hours, 16 minutes. They had a single anvil. There was one by Michael Hicks. And then they had a few other bits and pieces as well, like an aquathon and stuff like that. Good on them for running uh, or for having a race over there in Florida. Okay, so the big race coming up, not this weekend, but next weekend is Ironman New Zealand. Obviously, we had the COVID uh, level back a couple of weeks ago, which means it's been postponed. The good news that is, is that it is going to be happening next weekend. And actually, John, I'm going to go into an email that was sent through to us from Ken Young. And he's just got, I registered for, to race Ironman New Zealand this year and they're booked in for some eye surgery on the 22nd. When the date shifted, Great effort from my New Zealand team for getting an alternative. Uh, left me unable to race. I emailed Ironman New Zealand team, and within 12 hours, I got an email back indicating fine to defer to 2022, and they have sent me a code already. Very impressed with the speed and response and the team at Ironman New Zealand. Very different from a mutual friend, Annette, dealing with Ironman Canada, uh, which maybe have been not so good. So, so what Ken's saying is, while this sucks, and while you know it's bad for everybody involved, it seems like I'm in New Zealand. The crew there are really looking after everyone in the best way possible, which is great to hear. You've got to play the long game, and especially when you're in a country like New Zealand, where the population's pretty small and your race doesn't sell out. If you start widespreadly pissing off your uh, loyal customers, then it's going to come back to bite you, and they'll just go elsewhere. In the North America, I guess, and maybe Canada, maybe you can afford to get away with that because you know your race is filling every year. Still, how do you treat people? But yeah, you, you but, know, come on. Mm. So good on Ironman New Zealand. Well, the big we've got two little uh, John's ITU update. Just got it. Yep, ITU update. We had Mullumbah Triathlon at the weekend. That's a, that's an old classic, isn't it? It has been around for donkey's years. Which one one's Noose is the big one, isn't it? Oh, Mullumbah and Noosa are pretty much on par. I'd say Noosa is probably slightly older. Noosa has the plaque. And it does, yeah. When you drive into Noosa, it has the Noosa Triathlon. Is mm-hmm. it like one of the big things? Like, like you know, when you go into a town and what, what, what is it, Timaru? The Tim, only way is Timaru? up. Timaru, yep. yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah. not a good sign. <laughs> but um, but in Noosa, you go into the Noosa and they've got the Noosa Triathlon. I'd say Noosa's probably older. However, Malulabar p- 
possibly starts to carry a bit more prestige these days because they've had so many World Cups and World Triathlon Series races there um, for on the elite side of things. Anyway, that was on the weekend. Obviously, only Aussies really racing or anybody who's sort of based over there. Matt Hauser, still only under 23. I know, that's interesting. Uh, he's been around for donkey's years. 143.24 took it out, and then Ashley Gentle took out the females race uh, in... 159.05. I did notice that also they had a non-drafting race and I noticed that uh, good old Amelia Watkinson took that out. Well, more importantly, John, we've, we've, we've buried the lead. We we've, have. We've buried the lead because last weekend we had the Brad Richards Building Company. What is it? Just Brad Richards Building? Brad Richards Building. Uh, City Ski, sorry, Sea to Sky Challenge uh, happening in Christchurch here. And what happened in the racing, John? We did. We had Taylor Reid, who's former world under-23 champion. He took it out. Uh, we had to shorten the swim. <laughs> and we're lucky we got a swim in. And maybe we should use my swim picture. Have you got a picture already for the website this week? No, we've done it. Too late. <sighs> I'll put a couple. Of, I'll put a couple of pictures on our Facebook page. So if you want to go and check out what we, some of the the footage from that event, it's an awesome race. But the swim, the day before on Saturday, it was windy as hell. I was like, Jesus, not good. And the surf report was for bigger waves, and there was a gigantic waves coming in on Saturday. I was like, Oh, this is not good. And then got around there. I get I get up at I think I get up at three, and I was sort of on race site by about three forty five in the morning. Having a look at the waves, <laughs> this ain't happening, <laughs> and and it didn't. It dropped slightly, and just enough that we could get one small boy out there. But instead of having a seven hundred and fifty meter swim, it was probably well. The, the Taylor Reid is one of the a sensationally good swimmer. He did four twenty eight, um, which probably includes about a twenty second run up the beach. So four minutes wasn't that long, but it was great to have a swim. Or and the the cool thing is. Unlike, say, if you go into an Ironman or things like that, we have a duathlon option and you still get to do the bike and the run, which is a really iconic part of the race. So that's a really nice bailout option. Um, but it was a pretty epic swim. So Taylor Reid took it out, um, it ended up in reasonably convincing fashion a couple of minutes uh, by in front of Saxon Morgan and Dylan McCulloch, who's a current youth Olympic champion. And then Ainsley Thorpe, who's in the running for our Olympic team. She took out the females in front of Sophie Corbidge and Bria Roderick. So it was Good racing. And the cool thing was, the elite, the first guys, you know, they're experienced athletes. They came across the, the line and they were rooted. Oh, really? They go, I didn't realize how hard was. that was going to be. It was like only an hour, 11 minutes for Taylor Reid, but the last couple oh, of k's of the run. At the rivet. Yeah, yeah. you are um, very, very hard uphill. And Ainsley Thorpe, top athlete. I think she got maybe eighth or ninth in the world under 23s uh, last time we had it. Uh, she said she had to have a little walk on the run. Wow. It's that steep. And then the, the, you have to gun this really, really steep downhill to, just before the finish. Taylor Reid was doing an interview after the race and his like, legs were shaking all good over the place. I love it. So it was good times. Uh, well, we'll talk about another result later on in the show because I think there's a pretty cool result in here that we'll talk about later. Uh, John Bo, let's talk about the hot topic of the week. So we're just kind of curious. I've actually changed it one for this one. I noticed. Yeah. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, for next week for this one but this week's one was are you going to watch Challenge Miami and maybe why so John I'm, I'm pulling it up now Brian LeFer 1000% will watch luckily for them we're also starved of some action that they need not do anything special other than not lose the feed at the end oh that was tragic when that happened in Daytona oh that was so they yeah. did good good this time okay uh, you could do Rich Walker said no the only try I'll watch are Hawaii European Championships normally Frankfurt and sometimes 70.3 Worlds and even then it's in the background whilst I do something else. Long course is a do it, not watch it. 
Okay. Uh, you can do one more and then I'll be ready. Hyo <laughs> Chin. Uh, yes, mainly for the Lionel Sanders Yarn Fredino rivalry, rivalry. It's been great to put on while uh, on the longer trainer sessions. Good motivation and prevents boredom from creeping in. Well, this is quite controversial, that one, because old Tucker McKevier has come through to rivalry. I've been away from try for a good while, but when did this rivalry happen? Frodo has won gold medal, triple Olympic, um, triple Ironman World Championships, and seventy point three. Has Lionel won any of them? There's no real rivalry there, is there? Lionel was like the 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 nippy gnawing brother. Yeah, I don't think he's beaten him yet. I don't think I don't, I don't think Frodo is. We well, don't think anybody's beaten Frodo in front of us. I don't so. think he's that worried about Frodo, is he? Yeah, but uh, but that being said. Lionel Sanders is... Oh, no, know, don't get me wrong. He's the second... Rivalry know, is Macca and Crowey. Mm, where it goes tit for tat. Yeah, and mm. it went, you know, and, and you know, a bit of tension between the two, you know, and they both won it, and then you Macca beat Crowey, and then, you know, so that was a good rivalry. I think the Lionel Sanders versus Sebastian Keenley is quite a good rivalry. Yeah, that's a good rivalry. They've, they've sort of come back and forth a little bit. I got uh, Andy Ashton's got such a shame if oh, there was a period there where I didn't think Yarn was racing, but he did. So I'm going to go to Amy Stone. It's got actually going to be there because I live in Miami. So there. She said, no, 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 no. But to add to the discussion, I didn't watch much of the streaming of Challenge Daytona. Graham McCullum, no, I didn't even know it was on until now. They need to make it easy for me to watch without having to look for it. I have it come into my feed on Facebook and I'd probably get sucked into watching it. Miles, I'm going to say March Mint has got here Well, I'm working at the rugby So if it finishes in time for me to watch it I will uh, Which it might do uh, Although I wanted to watch Lionel try to take on Jan And haven't heard any news about Jan getting into America So there was obviously a concern about Jan being at the race That's yeah, right, you talked about that last week Yeah, you? so he, he made it thankfully Yep, we know that uh, Brent Chan, yes And it's almost $3 Canadian Exchange rate is a killer <laughs> Well, paid $5 in New Zealand Yeah uh, Vicky Jones just definitely uh, who else we got there? Good old Hal Tao said, I'd watch it if George Goodwin was racing. He got he had a really good race in Daytona. I think it was uh, third. I'll go Neil Hastings. Uh, didn't know it was on until reading this. If it's on and I can access it, what's it on? I'll Last one it. I'll do. Bradley Murphy will watch it and happy to pay one ninety nine for it. Yeah, I, I, if we go back to this discussion of Kona charging mm. five bucks New Zealand, mm. they're doing it. I, I reckon this is opening a door because really what everyone's saying is I don't want to pay that much mm. and even if they gave it even if it was an improvement in coverage because I don't think the race day live is really about trying to find no. a bigger audience it's, no. the, it's the package they give to, mm. the, to the NBCs of the world uh, so uh, it may not happen this year but I can see a future where we're paying five bucks to watch Kona on the day and happy to pay it I'd, I'd say it'd be more than that I'd be happy to pay ten. I'd be happy to pay twenty. No, I think I think there's a line where you go. You know what? Let's nine ninety nine is that line. Yeah, but I think for a lot, you you got to be a little bit careful. Mm. You know, because but, but we are ultimate cheap asses, you and I. Yeah, ultimate cheap asses. Most of the rest of the triathlon audience are pretty happy to shell out. I reckon. Yeah, I don't. Would I pay ten bucks? I'm such a tight ass. Yeah. <laughs> Happy to pay your cricket money. I I agree. I'm a tight ass as well. But anyway, that was interesting. It, 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 it's very interesting. Well, it's the way that, sports going. I think the thing is, obviously, a lot of people don't know about this race, mm. and it's a bit of a problem. Mm. You know, our audience is the geeks, and we've talked about this race for a while. Mm. You know, so <laughs> if you're listening to this, sharp enough. Yeah, um, but but at the same time, obviously, letting the community know is probably an important thing to think about. Uh, how do you? That's the whole marketing conundrum, isn't it? I, it was plastered over my Facebook feed. Well, I suppose you the get, question if you've, is, if you've done any challenge races, you're on the challenge family feeds. So if you haven't done a challenge race and you don't follow follow any challenge stuff on on social media, how are they? It's very difficult to reach people. 
Um, how does the PTO get into your database? You know, or how do they get you onto? You know, like the thing is, we get all the PR releases, so we know what's happening in all the races. But if you're a triathlon fan and you don't want to be spammed, but if the PTO were to create some kind of value add where you're willing to give you the email address, where they, with every couple of weeks they give you some interviews with some pros or something, they're, like they're that. doing that. Yeah, but, but but people obviously aren't jumping on it. Mm. So how do they get that transition of getting people on their database so that when stuff like this happens, the audience actually? Well, knows. I think again, this is the, the investment that they put into the pros is a, an awesome angle. The pros are now invested in it. They're wearing PTO. A lot of them on their yeah. on their gear. For example, for me at the weekend, I took a punt and put out a reasonable amount of prize money for. A small yeah. event and, and and got a few we pros. Five million dollars, yeah. and a few pros couldn't make it. I had a whole stack more lined up, and they all got sick and injured, which was a bit of a pain. But the value in them being there was the social metering the crap out of it. Yep. And so if they got all the pros to get to social media the crap out of the PTO, going, "Hey, come on board, sign up here," blah blah blah. Then I think that's a, an awesome angle because you know I guess all the kids these days that are coming through. They're all in bloody gramming the crap out of everything. Well, I, and I think the thing is, you know, like for pros in the past, when it was just the Ironman, who was kind of the main player, supporting races was pretty tough to do because you, you kind of were being screwed. Mm. You know what I mean? And it's kind of like, well, why would I send out to my social media following that I've built mm-hmm. when you're going to give me no, you know, 2000 bucks to send up to a race? Mm-hmm. Whereas these races we're putting on now are PTO funded races. Mm-hmm. So you kind of think like a yarn, and I don't follow these guys on Instagram, but you kind of think of the, the top dudes. Are they putting a post up the day before saying, make sure you watch this race? Actually, um, let's have a look. Most, most of them were. Yeah, well, they're all saying I'm off to... Off to um, but they should have, you dinner. know, they should have like a, here's the link, bang, 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 mm. be here at this time. They should, you know, part of their kind of role within this is the real mm. obvious market, not just, hey, I'm going to challenge mm. Miami. It's watch us race, here's the mm. link, here's bang, 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 here's the information. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm not a big social media guy, but the, I definitely yeah, saw that on there. Yeah, followers, mm. surely, you know, or, or a lot. Um, so, you know, this week's discussion, what was the most impactful advice someone gave you when you first started the sport? And what I'm meaning impactful is it actually helped you be a better athlete, mm-hmm. you know? So something that, you know, that someone told you when you got to your first race, and you got to the end of that race, and you're like, oh my God, I'm so glad that person told me that. So it's this week's discussion. Okay, Go- guys, so... oh. We're going to geek out, or what are we doing here? We're going to geek out with Torsten? Well, no, we'll do my bit. Okay. Uh, so what we're going to do is, we, our interview fell away this week, so I'm just going to put a podcast that I did a couple of weeks ago on my podcast, the Bev and James Owl Show. I'm going through some change in my life right now, and change which is quite exciting, but it's also quite introspective, this kind of talk I'm going to do. So uh, hopefully you get something from this if you are thinking about some change in your life. So here it is right now. Kind of Bevan's. I've got Bevan's Coach's Corner. Here Bevan's Coach's Corner. I often think in life, the best tool you can have in life is awareness tools. I really do. I really think that when you think about any change moment in your life, it's often before that moment you've had a moment of awareness. And that awareness can come from a tough moment. I, I, I've talked about that moment when I realised I need to give up drugs, when one of my best druggie mates said to me, Bevan, you realise we're a druggie. And then suddenly I realised I, I was a druggie. That was an awareness moment. Sometimes it can come from disappointment. You know, you, you, you kind of wake up and you realise you're in a job that you don't like and you think, geez, I need to make some change. 
And then to me, the best form of awareness is to have tools in your life that allow you to be aware in your life. And it's if I do one thing well in life, although maybe today's show will kind of disprove this, but if I do one thing life well in life, I think I have good awareness tools. Things like the five-year journal, things like nightly journaling, things like my goal-setting process, things like my Bevan book. These are all little tools that help me keep aware of how I'm doing in life. And today... Recently, and maybe as I think about my awareness tools I use currently, my awareness tools I use currently are very much just about almost like a day-to-day thing. But recently, in the last three or four months of my life, I've had some awareness tools that have made me realize I haven't really developed myself as much as I could in the last 10 years. I'll say it again. I've, I've had some awareness tools that have made me realize that I haven't developed myself as much as I potentially could have in the last 10 years. Let me take a step back. So uh, I love listening to books, and one of the things, I and you would have heard me talk about this on the show if you're if you're listening for a long time, is I kind of have this strategy of listen to books, and then if you think there's a good book, buy the book and study the book. And the whole idea is because, you know, what it's like a lot of books, there's a lot of the same content, um, a lot of books, you know, you kind of don't, there's not much value in. So I like the idea of like when I eat and drive, so when I'm eat, cook, preparing a meal, eating a meal, I'll be listening to a book, and when I drive, I try to listen to a book, and then other times I listen to podcasts for more for my entertainment, and then once I've done that, I kind of, if there's a real book I like, I buy the book, and then I actually try to study the book, because to me, if there's a book that's adding value to your life, it, it doesn't, what's the point of having value if you haven't applied the lessons of that book, and a book that's, an author I like, who around small businesses, a guy called Mike, now, I'm going to say Mikolowski, I guarantee I've got that wrong, um, but he's written a few book, 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 book uh, good books. One's called Profit Per First, which I, I highly recommend for any small business owner. Uh, one called Pumpkin Patch. One called Fix This Next. If you if you own small business, I highly recommend you you look up his work. He does very good small business books. But a book that he wrote a couple of years ago, which I bought, well, I bought as an audio book, probably mid last year, was called Clockwork. And I listened to this book, and I and it was one of these books that, as I listened to it, I realized, geez, I've got all the problems this guy talks about here. And the basic premise of the work, the clockwork book, so then I bought the book, and then Joe and I have worked on studying this book, and we're kind of in this process of applying this. And the basic premise of, of this book, and I, and I may have even talked about it on this podcast, was um, small business owners get in the trap of doing. And what does that mean? Well, ultimately, their vision and their reach gets limited because they do everything themselves. You know, anyone who's been in small business or heard about small business is that work on your business, not in your business. And when I read this book, I suddenly realized that I was working in my business. And, and what he gets you to do in this book, he's kind of, he talks about these four processes. And, I, and again, I'm not going to go to too much details because I think I have talked about this on this podcast. But one thing you had to do was a time audit. You had to do a time audit of every 15 minutes of your week. And not just your work, like every 15 minutes of your week. Now, I'm a really organized person. Like I sit down and have my weekly meetings. So I kind of thought this would be an easy thing to do. But as you're doing it, you also had to say, sorry, I bumped my table there. He, he said you had to, to define the four areas. Is it doing, deciding, delegating, or designing? Because in his book, he's saying that business owners should just be designing. Designing 
improvements on their products and designing new products to go alongside their business. So both Joe, my wife, and I, we sat down for a week and we did this religiously. She's, she's very disciplined, so I did it, she did it. And at the end of the week, it became very obvious that 99.9% of our time is just doing. It's just the same stuff we did last week. There's not really much designing of making our products or, or better or creating new products. So this is a real confrontational kind of moment for me because it made me realize something that was actually a bit of a scary thing. And, and, and I don't say this in a way that's a bad thing. I'm using it as an ambitious thing, but it was a scary thing. It made me realize I am living of the things I created in the last five, ten years. Like my running business. Really proud of my running business. It's a business I think we have a big impact on the people who use our product. But I created it ten years ago. And when you look at what the product is today, there's, there's an evolution, but it's a pretty slow evolution in those ten years. Like if we look at the number of people we're helping, it, it's gone up each year. And, you know, there's been improvements, but it's not a huge jump. You know, when I think of the impact that we have on people's life, if I could help thousands of people, imagine what I could do. But I haven't. And so this was quite a confronting confronting moment for me because suddenly I realized that I needed to change this. So then the next stage of this book is you've got to go through all your roles. And what it does is the whole idea is you're trying to offload your work so that you get to a place where you are just being a designer. This is the whole objective of this time is that you're getting to this place. And so then the next stage was is you have to kind of record how you work. So you, you basically write down all your roles, all the tasks within this role. So you might say, for example, one of my roles is podcasting. Okay, so part of being a podcaster is the creation, the recording, and then all the work that goes alongside it. So for this podcast, obviously, I need to do the creation and the recording. But the, the work that happens after the fact is something that maybe I don't need to do. So really what you need to do is create these systems. Now, as I was creating these systems of how I worked, it was a real eye-opener because actually most of the work that I do each week is a copy-and-paste duplicated experience which does not stretch me at all. I say it again, most of the work I do each week is a, a duplicated experience, a copy and paste experience that does not challenge me at all. And actually, as you kind of recorded myself systemizing it, it'd be very easy to get somebody else to do this work. Like, it's, it's not rocket science. And this was one of the problems I discovered in this moment, is that I haven't really challenged myself. I haven't really challenged myself. And, and, I, and I like to think that I am somebody who challenges myself. I like to think that I, I kind of like to stretch myself as a person. I like, to, you know, I like to think that I'm someone who stands up to a challenge, who embraces what life has to offer when it comes to challenge. And I can say that, and in some ways in my life you can kind of look at me and say, well, he has had success. But again, if you look at the last 10 years of my life, I definitely haven't grown as much as I can. And I'm definitely not living that much time in the stretch. I'm not living that much time in the challenge. And this is quite a con confronting moment for me. Because here I am, I, I, I'm a guy who gives advice. I'm here a guy, I'm a guy who promotes wills, which stretches and challenges people. And, and, I, and I always talk about personal credibility. If you want to be a leader, you need personal credibility. And I, and I kind of felt I had that. But then when you pull back the curtain, I'm kind of a, a, bit, a bit like the Wizard of Oz. 
turns out that I haven't been stretching myself. I haven't been challenging myself. I haven't been having as much impact that I fundamentally believe I can have and that I want to have. And this made me realize I needed to create some change. Because while, and and this is one of the things, because one of the things when you discover this is it's almost like you can justify it. Like I can justify, well, it's that kind of good as the enemy or great. Like if you look at my life right now, I've got a good life. I, I do the thing I love. People appreciate my work. I, I still get to have an impact. But again, if you look at how I'm living my life, I'm not really stretching. I'm not really challenging. I'm not having the impact in the areas I want to have in the way that I ultimately could to the scale that I fundamentally believe I can. And I could I could just stay in that place. And, and one thing, I've, I've kind of written some notes before here. And I, I, so one thing this moment made me realize is that I needed to change. Now, there's kind of a process that I need to go through to change, but I think the first thing I needed to do, and this is with my wife as well, with Joe, is that I needed to understand that I needed to change my mindsets. And as I kind of had this realization, I needed to explore some of the mindsets that have made it be okay for me to be in this place. And one of those mindsets for me, I'll share one of those mindsets. So um, again, if you've listened to this podcast, you know, um, I come from poor. I come from poor. Um, my parents, we, we, we come from the poor side of town. My parents are great role models because my parents are great role models that if you're a hard worker and you make good behavior decisions, you can you can move on from poor. And so I, I started in the poor side of town. Um, academically, I didn't do that well. Um, but my parents were role models. So one thing my parents did teach me is, is kind of hard work. And they did teach me some good things about savings and basic money and stuff like that. But I left school at 15, no qualifications, academically a failure, and coming from poor. And, and like little things, there were scars that come with that. Like I remember, for example, trying to pick up a girl in town one night. And when I informed her which school I went to, which is not one of the greatest schools in, in Christchurch, she didn't want to have a bar of me. And, and that was something that kind of ingrained in me. That was something that kind of scarred me and it reinforced that, that you know, that, that poor thing that comes with me. And in many ways, poor that kind of poor thing motivated me to, to be really good at money. And the benefit is, is that I've been good with money. I've had good systems around money. I've saved, I've invested early. So there's some really good stuff around that. But one of the mindsets I have that's held me back is that we've got to this level in our life where if we can sustain this level for kind of like the next seven or eight years, we'll be in a really good position where we could retire a little bit younger than when most people can retire. So the mindset I have in myself is don't, don't take big risks. You know, you know what? You, you know this works. Even though you're kind of in this kind of doing that's not really progressing, not challenging you and not, you know, but you know, if you can do this for another five, six years, you're going to be in a great position. And then, you know, then in that five, six years from then, then you can be that person. You know, stay on this path that's safe. But if you go in five years, then you can be that person. And interesting, I had a, I actually, I had a session with one of my clients. And one of my clients is a financial guy and he's put together a course around finances and um, and so to support him, 
And because I was interested in his course, I paid to do his course. And it was a great course. I highly recommend it. Was a, when he kind of makes it more public, I'll let you guys know about it because it was a great course. And uh, as a part of the course, and he over-delivered way too much. Um, and uh, so once, once he did the course, you had a kind of one-on-one session with him. And one thing he said to me, which really confronted me, because he kind of, you had to reveal all your financial position. And he said to me, why don't you invest? Because I kind of told him what I would ultimately love to be doing with my time. And I, and I kind of said, you know, we're, we're thinking maybe five years in the future that what we'll do. And he said, well, you've got a certain amount of money. Why wouldn't you take a chunk of that and bet on yourself right now? Why wouldn't you take a chunk of that and bet on yourself right now? But that went against that mindset of wait five years and you get there. And this is one of the mindsets I needed to change in this moment of change. One of the mindsets I, I need to change is that stay on the path because it's a safe path and you know you're going to get to a pretty good life ahead of most people in a short period of time. Because that there keeps me in my current place. One of the other mindsets, and this is one of the things I loved around uh, so another book I read. So that Clockwork book was a really influential book and then I've been doing some more study. And, and one of them is this kind of concept of who, not how. And they talk about in small business owners, one of the common faults, and I'm, I'm a classic example of this, is when there's a problem, you go, how can I fix this problem? Not who can fix this problem. And this is traditionally what's happened with our business. Both Joe and I, when there's a problem, we just go, how do we fix this problem? And that's why we're caught in this trap of the doing ourselves. Because we haven't built the people around us to help solve our problems. And this became a fundamental problem, or this is a fundamental mindset that's worked against me and kept me in this place. So the first thing I needed to explore was, to create change, what are the mindsets I need to shift in my life to allow me to make that change? So so when, those two examples I share right there. So the first example was, wait, wait, you know, to that five to eight years in the future, because if you're just down this path right now, you're going to get there safely. The other one was, you know, the who, not how. So the first thing I did is shifted my mindset. So for example, one thing, you know, I've talked about in this, this podcast, how I'm writing my second book right now. And I'm really proud of this book and I've, I'm literally going to be finishing it in the next 10 days, at least first draft. So I'm really excited about this book and, I, and I, I'm proud of it. I think it's a book that can have a massive impact on so many people who aren't moving. I, I really do. And I want to create a business model around it. Now, the old me would have said, how do I do this? The old me would have said, how do I do this? So it would have been a, a three-year project, which would have taken up more time, would have made me more stressed, would have made me, you know, like it, it just would have made me feel more piled on in my life. And actually, when going back to that kind of thing, that realization moment, it, it wasn't that my life wasn't busy. You know, when I think of, you know, when I, you know, if you look at my life before this moment, this last five, six, ten years, it's not that my life's not busy. It's just I'm not stretching and challenging. And so the old me in this kind of going back to my book project, I would have thought, how do I do this? And I would have tried to do it all by myself. Whereas now, I literally, in my head, I'm just saying, who not how? Who not how? Who not how? Like, interestingly, with our business, I've, I've just offloaded my marketing job, which, again, I've never liked my marketing job. I'm good at it. Um, I get it, but it's it's not my passionate thing. So that's, that's another thing, is that a lot of those tasks that I was doing is not the thing I love doing. For example, I, I love helping people move. I love teaching exercise one-on-one with a group of people. I love 
creative solutions. I love designing new stuff. You know, that's the stuff I love. So A, I was busy not doing the stuff I love. Don't get me wrong, it's not that I hated it. But it wasn't the stuff that I loved the most. And then B, again, I wasn't stretched or pushed. So then when I think about these mindset shifts, so now as I think about this book, I'm thinking to myself, who, not how? So now what I'm starting to think about is I need to build some teams around me. Like I was thinking the other day, okay, well, I need to get a publishing team. I need to get a sales and marketing team. I need to get a PR team. So this is what I'm starting to think about as I move towards, I need to, a, a content creation team around me. Then secondly, if we go back to that kind of the financial side of it, that kind of waiting five years till we get to that point, I need to invest in myself. I need to invest in this book. This book's going to be a project that if I want to get teams around me, I've got to pay these people. Uh, do I believe in the book? Yep. Do I believe there's a business model that can work with the book? Totally. Um, so I need to let go of trying to wait till tomorrow and I need to invest some of the money that I've saved all over these years to back myself. And you can see that these mindsets are a complete shift to where I was. But these two mindsets, and there's different, there's more mindsets, I'm just kind of going into two right now, but when you, you can see that these two mindsets are absolutely massive to shifting the way I move forward in my life. First of all, I need to build teams around me. Okay, so that's the first thing I need to do, because if I can get teams, the who, not how, I can get A, I can get ex- experts. Like interesting, I've just offloaded my marketing job to a guy called Marcus. He lives in, in I think he lives in Denmark. Yeah, he lives in Denmark. That's the world we live in nowadays. Um, and he's to come on board and he tells me, he shows me how he's reporting his ads. He, he, like this guy studied this stuff. As much as I was doing an okay job of it, he's way better than I am. So I can get teams who are better at me who are more specialized in the areas that I need them to be great at. So I can get teams around me. But I can also invest in myself. Now, there's a risk. I could spend whatever it's going to cost for me to get this book to market, and it can be a total failure. But you've got to back yourself in life sometimes, don't you? And I, and I fundamentally believe the work that I'm doing in this book can help the world. I really do. So I've got to back that as well, don't I? And if I fundamentally believe it, and I can get it right, it could be massively successful. And then, what? you know, we go back to them, think of the reach and all that kind of stuff I talk about. And then... My own growth, my own stretch in this journey is going to be absolutely massive. So once I started to understand that I need to shift my mindsets, and I've done some big exploration around the different mindsets I need to have in place around this, then I need to create a new plan. And, and I think one of the things that I've discovered right now is that I need to shift my self-development. I need to shift my self-development. So for example, let's go back to this publishing of the book. So let's say I need four teams. I need a publishing team. I need a content creation team. I need a sales and marketing team. And I probably need like a PR team, which probably sits under sales and marketing. So let's say three teams. Uh, Content publishing, content creation, sales and marketing. Okay, that's that's my three teams. There probably are some more, but let's just go there. Well, really, my job is now a manager of teams. And and I may have told this story on the podcast in the past, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it with you again because it's a really good example of this. So a few years ago, I was in Germany and I met a genius. Seriously, I met a genius. One of the ladies on the camp was this lovely lady and she was doing 
um, she was doing a camp that my myself, and my other guy, who I do my other podcast with, John, had put on, and she was amazing, really awesome lady. And then her husband turned up, and he turned out to be this genius character. Like I've never met a genius in my life. And this guy was a genius. He was like a Harvard professor. He'd started companies that had been some of the top businesses in America, like like top five hundred, top uh, maybe top hundred companies in America. He was telling me he had a, a research project that had like a billion dollar R and D around solving some aspect of cancer. Like this guy, and, and anything you talked about, this guy knew like the hundredth layer. Like if you talked about, I don't know. Cancer, he knew the hundredth layer of cancer. If you talked about sport, he knew the hundredth layer of sport. He was a genius. And I loved him. I literally, for the three days I knew this man, he must have got sick of me because I was stuck at his hip. And and he wasn't he like no one else knew around who this guy was. He wasn't he wasn't bash bashful. He wasn't promoting himself to anyone. I'm just a curious person. And once I kind of discovered I'm in the presence of a genius, I'm I'm hanging around this guy. Because he was that good. But one thing I was really fascinated with, I think at that time he had three businesses. And again, businesses that had like a billion dollar R&D. So these are huge businesses who are trying to solve massive problems. Like trying to solve a cancer. This guy was an absolute rock star. And he said to me, he goes, Bevan, I don't see my, my job nowadays is to mentor CEOs. My job nowadays is to mentor CEOs. That I get great people around me, and then my job is just to mentor them. Now, he's having impact. He's making a massive difference on the world. But he's not doing it himself. He's who, not how. Now, he's getting high-level people. He's getting the best of the best. And then he's just trying to help them grow to have the impact in the way that he wants to have impact. And as I look at the future I want to create, as I see that I need to be a leader of teams, and I've done some learning around how you need to manage teams, but but ultimately when I think about my own development now, I need to become a great leader of teams. That's what I need to do. I need to create an understanding of how you build teams, how you how you select a great team, how you guide your leaders. Because I don't want to be a manager of the team. I want to get leaders to manage the aspects of the team. And then what I want to be is kind of like my CEO genius mate. He's not really a mate. He probably doesn't remember who I am, but I'm claiming it. I want to be like him. And one thing they talk about in the Clockwork book is, is that when you look at a great business owner, it's almost like they have a dashboard of a car in front of them. And they and they have the kind of the six or seven measurements that create success with their business. And what they do is they have the leaders who have ownerships and then they set goals. But then you just mentor these people along the way. And so when I think about my own development, there needs to be a shift. Because how I've developed myself up to this point isn't that. So when I think about my own stretch and my own learning and how I'm going to spend my time and energy in this next moment in my life, it's completely different. Because with the shift in the mindset and the shift in the way I'm going to try to live my life moving forward, I need to develop myself in different ways. The, the second thing, and this probably should have come before that thing there, is there's a process in the steps of the journey. So if I'm going to kind of take, break this down into different steps, first step would be that I've discovered, I had the awareness moment. You know what? I haven't stretched, I haven't grown, I haven't challenged, I haven't had more impact. Um, I can justify it because it's still been a good life, but I need to change. Second is you need to change your mindsets. 
Third is you need to create a pathway for the change. And this is really important because at the same time as I want to get to this place, I can't just stop doing all my doing jobs overnight. I can't. I can't just go, you know what? I'm no longer going to do that 99.9% of tasks that I discovered that I was doing when we did that time audit around Jeremiah's time. I just can't do that. So I have to accept that there's a transition period that I'm working through. And, and to be honest, that's what I'm in right now. So for example, my sales and marketing. My sales and marketing role probably took 10 to 15 hours a week of my week, each week of my life. That was how much time it took. Now, I needed to offload it. I wanted to get that 10 to 15 hours back to myself. But I just want to just get rid of it because if I just get rid of it without wisely transitioning that through, then my business is going to fall over because my business needs sales and marketing. So first of all, I had to think of the wisest way to get the right person. So I did some research on understanding how to find somebody who'd be good at sales and marketing. I did some auditions. I did some, you know, did some, found out the kind of questions you need to ask these people with the deep knowledge of understanding they need to get. And then I found a person who seems like a great fit. And we're kind of in this trial and we've set up how this relationship is going to work. But in my first, you know, I, I really this project started at the beginning of this year. So when I look at my work in this last month, well, last six weeks, I've offloaded that task. Now I'm starting to offload some of my other tasks. And at the moment I'm in the process of, of employing somebody who will be able to take over more of the everyday tasks that are, are probably a bit more generalized, don't need such a specific skill set as the, for myself as a marketing person. And, and the aim is that should be done the transition from me getting someone on board to them understanding the systems to them overtaking those systems and having ownership and, ha- and understanding how that, that kind of mentorship will happen with that person is probably still another six weeks to two months away. So there's this transition I need to go through. As much as I want to be doing the book project and building those teams and all the rest of it, I can't just let go of the things that I was previously doing. So there is this transition period that you need to work towards. Then... As I'm gaining time, I've got to make sure I find my right focuses. One of my biggest faults in life is I'm a bit like um, the dog that sees the next thing. You know, like that, um, there's that movie, is it Up, uh, where there's a dog carrying it. It's like, what's that? What's that? What's that? And I can be a bit like that. I can be, I'm an ideas guy. I can very much just get excited by the thing that's in front of me right now. So one thing I need to think about is as I gain time, what's the best use of my design time? Because I want to become, if we go back to that clockwork book, I want to become a designer. So to me, there's two areas that I want to design. Design, improving my current business. So when I look at that, one area in my current business, we're very lucky that we pick great coaches because I've got a great coaching team. We've got about 15 coaches working for us. They're all passionate, they're all highly skilled, they all care about their people and they all do great work. We're very lucky. And when it comes to managing them, we, we don't do a lot of management. We also don't do a, a huge amount of training with them. We do a little bit of training, we kind of get them on board, we give them shadows, we have a couple of sessions with them, we do a little bit of feedback. But if I've got to be honest, it's, it's not a great level of training. So one of the big projects I need to work on with a team is a training system to make sure our coaching level is just 10 times better than anything out there. That's that's a really good design project for me. Now, 
when I think about the designing side of it, I need to build a team. So that I might do aspects of it, but my team will run that project. So that's improving my business. That's, that's a really good use of my business time, my business design time. That's a good project that I want to focus on in this next moment as I gain more time. Then the other project is the book project. The book project, I, I, I hope that people will listen to this in the future because, you know, podcasting people can go back and listen to old episodes. And, I, I, and if you're, okay, here we go. If you're listening to this five years from now, so I've recorded this in 2021, February the 20th, 2021, I recorded this. If, if you're listening to this in 2026 and you've heard of my book and my book's a big thing, flick me an email. It means I got this right. Um, the thing about books, here's the thing about books. That book you've heard of, that book you've bought, it's had a great sales and marketing project around it. It's had strategies that take success. You know, the thing about books is, the, one, the book that wins is the book that tends to have the biggest sales and marketing strategy. It's, it's, I know that sounds, you know, word of mouth helps, but ultimately you need money. You know, you need money to find your audience, especially in today's world because everyone's trying to find an audience. You know, like nowadays trying to start a podcast is so hard if you haven't got a budget because everyone's starting a podcast. You know, I'm lucky because I started years ago when podcasting wasn't a big thing. So I've got a good audience and appreciate all you people listening to this. But but nowadays it's so tough. And so, you know, I've got to create a, a, a business around this book. Now, that's that's good use of my focus. So one thing I've got to just think about is, what are my next moves? What are my next moves? And my next moves, need I need to get that right. Because if I can get that right, they should be aligned to the bigger impact I'm trying to have. Ultimately, they should be stretching and growing me. Ultimately, they should be stretching and growing me. Because ultimately, what is the point of this? The whole point of this is that I need to be challenged. I feel most alive when I'm challenged. I love challenge. And because I want to grow in the ways that I think I can have the biggest impact, bigger impact on the world, it's important that I get good at getting this. Like I need to be stretched. And again, I'm not afraid of stretch, but I've just created a life where I'm not. I've created a life where I'm not challenged. I've created a life where I'm no longer expanding the reach that I can have. And I need to. And this is a turning point in my life. If I can get this next moment right and set the right plans in motion, it's hard to think what I can create in the future. Whereas if you think of that version of myself who was, you know, six months ago, who was just thinking, get through the next five, six years, um, you know, stay the course, you got a good life. Tomorrow looked the same as today. Tomorrow looks the same. Five years look the same as today. It's quite an eye-opener when you think about it. And then probably the last point to think about with this is, as I move forward, I just need to keep awareness tools that catch me from falling back into that place where comfort is in, in place. So to recap... I've woken up in a moment of, the, of awareness in my life where I realize while I have a great life, while I, it's, there's nothing wrong with this life I'm leading right now, I'm not stretched, I'm not challenged, I'm, I'm doing the same stuff day in, day out, stuff that I'm maybe not even good at, which keeps me busy, which, which doesn't allow me to have the impact 
to the scale that I, I would love to have in my life. I needed to create some change. And in doing that, it's a few things that I needed to do. First of all, I needed to realize I needed to change some mindsets. I've shared two today, the idea of betting on myself, the idea of um, who, not how. There's many other mindsets I've had to shift as well. Secondly, or thirdly, I needed to offload my old life. There's a risk involved in this. Like I was showing Joe the other day, what would it cost us to employ someone to do 20 hours of work, do the tasks that, you know, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. But I've got to back myself. We're going to back ourselves, you know, like Joe and I, we're good at what we do. Imagine what if we could put more of this in there. Thirdly, I need to develop myself in different ways. I've got to be the CEO. I've got to be the mentor of CEOs. That's what I've got to be. I've got to be a designer. That's that's really, as I think of myself in the future, as being a great mentor and a great designer. That's, that's my life moving forward. Then I've got to plan my next moves really wisely. I've got to plan them really wisely because I can, I can, I can get distracted, guys. I can get distracted. And then as I move into my future, to have great awareness tools to catch if I fall back. This is a journey. It's a big journey for me. I've got to be honest. Joe came up to me the other day. And she was, she was, she was a little bit concerned because I think she, had, she you know, I shared some of the stuff with her, and and she was concerned that I was unhappy with my life, and I'm not. That's the good thing about me is, and maybe that's why I got caught in this trap because I've got a good life. And she was like, "But you want to make all these changes," and I was like, "Yeah, but but." I'm excited about this. I'm not. I'm not. It's like, oh, my life sucks. I need to change. It's like, like, I'm excited. I, I want to live this life. I, I, the, the future, not knowing the future, but being excited about moving into it. Man, that's the life I want to lead. So this is a project that I'm working on, and I've got to be honest. There's moments of doubt. Can I build a good team? Do I have the skills? That's the stretch. That's the challenge. You know, when you've got doubt, you've got to step up, you've got to face up, you've got to grow. That's where I'm trying to move in my life. So, as I said at the beginning of the show, today's episode is very much about me and this moment I am in my life. And, and I hope you've gained something from this. I hope you have because um, sometimes just listening to other people's moment and experience helps us realize that we need to shift as well. And I hope that my sharing, particularly if you're in a similar place to me, helps you think about where you want to progress forward in your life. And ultimately, become that better version of yourself. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Um, again, I had to get... Uh, like. When you do a podcast, you always get emails from people, but this one I just got so much feedback on it. So cool. hopefully you guys got something from that as well. Okay, let's go. Geek out uh, with Dawson. Dawson. Okay, I'm thinking plus 60, am I right? No, it's under 60. Oh, okay. I was pretty sure. Yeah, so. Oh, wait, wait uh, a second. I'm, under 60 is to what? Sub 10 at 60. It's, you're with it. You go, it's under 60. I think it is under 60. No, it's at 60, it's over 60, John. Mm. You know, right. Just own it. See, look at him. See? See, look at him. He still can't give it to me. No, Rob Barrel's not 60. Well, let me look. Yeah, check out how old Rob Barrel was in 2017. I think it's under 60. Okay. Because I, the first time around, I was going sub nine at, but, but sub nine sub nine at 50, under 50. No, it was, no, it was over when 50. When you turned 50. It was yeah. over. 
Okay. <laughs> you know you're wrong. Maybe right? he is 60 then. Okay, Maybe he's just turned 60. <laughs> just, How old was he in 2017? Rob Burrell, Wikipedia. Born in 1957, he was 60. <laughs> 60. <laughs> I told you I was right. <laughs> So he was 60. He knows how to play the age group game in terms of going fast. He was a legend that didn't quite do that well in Kona, did he? No, but he did amazingly everywhere else. He won uh, He was a beast. He was, he was the European version of the top four. He was a, the animal. If you go back and listen to our Legends of Triathlon, we had him on and he, and he said, finally, someone's given me some love. So. <laughs> anyway, so this was the sub 10, 10 over 60. Over 60. Yep. Not over, not under 60, over 60. Uh, <laughs> if you're 59 and, and 364 days. And again, you, I want to, and then we've done the female side of it, sub 11 hour 30, because no, we've had no females under 11 hours that we, uh, Torsten and Russ from uh, Coach Cox uh, could find in terms of Ironman races, any under 11 at 60. So we won't read out all of them, but the fastest time has been 9.43.53 in Ironman Cairns in 2019 by Kevin Ferguson. Jesus, that's great, isn't it? Second fastest time was Rob Burrell, and when it's done in Kona, it's yeah. just so much more impressive. Uh, 9.46.54, which was done at 2017 Ironman World Championships, when he was 60, apparently. And then <laughs> Kevin Ferguson's got the next one, 9.49 in Western Australia. Um, uh, and- her, Sherling? Uh, Herman Shering is 9.52. Marcus Joachim, 9.54. Rob Burrell's got another one there, 9.56. Yves Tarbrant, he's a, a French guy, very famous older dude, uh, 9.57. And he was, he was the first person to do it because he did it in 2009. So most of these other ones oh, yeah. are in, in the late 2010s. He and did it pretty much eight or nine years ahead of everyone else. In France, he ain't a flat course on the bike ride, so yeah. good on him. Uh, Alan Bremer has did it in Barcelona, which we know is super duper fast, 9.58, and I said we wouldn't do them all, but we will. Andreas Bodenman did just 10 seconds under, uh, 9.59.50 at Ironman Western Australia. So then we had the woman under 11 hours 30, and we had Arlene Turner, she did 11.01.24, so she was close to that sub-11 in Ironman Texas in 2016. V- Vibke Hansen went 11.09 in Copenhagen in 2015. I'm going to say Gabrielle Salint. Uh, she did Ironman Austria in 2016, 11.11. Amy Griffith, 11.13, Ironman Maryland. I'm going to say Laura Sophia. She did uh, Ironman Florida in 11.16 in 2017. So in the females under sub-11, we have five, six, five, five female athletes. And then under... 10 hours for men, we've got about 11. Come on, woman, we need to see you going sub 11. That's going to be awesome when someone does that. Well, it's not far away, you know, no. like if we get a, it's obviously, we will probably see it in the next few years, won't we? It's interesting. And it's interesting that in the history, no, like in the elite end, the, 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 the time difference is closer than one hour. Yet when we're getting to this older age group, it's gone out to more than one hour um, quite significantly. Now, let's be fair. Oh, do you mean between men and females? Between men and females. Let's be fair. Rob. Rob Rowell was a yeah, ex elite. elite, elite, elite athlete, and none of those names that I can see there are ex pros that I've, I've been aware of. So it would be, a, you know, maybe the females don't keep going quite but, as but, long but, as, but as is the guys. Is the argument against the athletic age? You know, because Rob Burrell, we, you know, he's been at 60, he's been an athlete for 35 years. Mm. You know, and let's be honest, although Melina still, you know, still do have a pretty good race, mm-hmm. but, you know, like their bodies are pretty tired. I'm just again. I'm just thinking out loud. Is how many ex-pro athletes are still going in their fifties and sixties, females compared to to guys? And 
I can probably name you know more guys than I can females mm. um, that, that sort of keep keep going at it. So for whatever reason, anyway, good on you guys. I don't think I'm going to go anywhere remotely close to that when I am sixty. Okay, guys, let's go one, two, three, four, half five. I reckon you will. <laughs> I reckon you'll because you've got you're, you're going to do sub. Was it sub nine at fifty? Sub nine at 50. Didn't say I'm doing it. Said I might give it a crack. Said you're doing it. We heard you. <laughs> uh, okay, John's doing a high five on just tips for running, uh, particularly in the off season, but just running, how to get better at your running. This was a carry on from a high five I did several weeks ago where I did a little uh, tips on a swim, bike and run. So we'll fire through this pretty quickly. Uh, number one, get yourself video. This is very similar to what I said with the swimming side of things. Um, I use an app called Huddle Techniques. So it's H-U-D-L. Um, the reason I use that is then you can freeze frame things, rock it forward and back. It's heaps, heaps, heaps better than just uh, filming yourself with your, with your phone. Uh, so what you're trying to do when you get yourself filmed, um, the key thing is to try to get a side-on shot so you can see your technique from side-on. Front-on is useful for looking at a number of things, but side-on is really, really important. Freeze frame it when you get to um, directly square on to the, to the camera. And, go, and what you're looking for here is uh, when your foot is fully loaded and you're looking for your foot placement. So you're trying to see, is that foot landing well out in front of your body? So you're overstriding, um, And also whether you're striking on your heel, you're looking at your body alignment. So things to look for there is whether you're kind of leaving your hips behind or, or running in a bucket. And also looking at head position amongst other things. So I like saying the column. Column's a really good way of thinking. It's the mm. head, shoulders, hips, and ankles, and you're kind of straight trying to see line. the alignment of that. Mm. Yeah. And so if you're not, if it's not straight, or if your head's tilting way back, or if your head's tilting forward, um, you need to be working on on fixing that. Uh, we're not going to quite go into that today. But one of the key things is is what that foot's doing. And if it's striking way out in front with your heel with a really straight leg, it means you're overstriding, and you've got to be shortening that up and working on getting it more underneath. And your body. often you're too straight. So if you're so we've got the column, which is that kind of head shoulders that's on. Um, if you're upright, then there's a higher chance you're going to heel strike mm-hmm. because your foot has to come in front of the body. So that's why they're getting that landing and helps as well. Number two, decide on what type of running technique you are aiming for, and this can sort of tie into point one, uh, and then find footage so you know what you should be aiming for. So there's different theories on um, what is optimal technique for everybody it's much like swimming you know um, I know the guys that do that swim smooth they've got you know maybe I think it's like five mm. different types of swimming with running it's probably not quite as big a breadth as that but you know are you sort of looking for more of a classic technique and Kipchoge's probably he's the guy who did the sub two hour marathon is probably the, one of the best examples of you know really really perfect classical running technique so we're never going to run like him or anywhere remotely fast as as him we had some somebody you, you sent through the other day the guy he led the london marathon for the first 400 <laughs> meters or something which you, you so, thought this is so, funny and i thought oh that's i just find that a dorky thing to do well so this guy i don't know he's, he, he was doing it as a fundraiser but i still think oh, so so his mission was to lead the london marathon for just a, a moment of the race and mm, so no, for, for 400 meters with it, well, at, oh. at the 400 meter mark, you want to be in front. Okay, so they take off, and there's this guy. So they take off, and it's kind of like a funnel. The, the basically, the fastest guys just kind of funnel together to the left of the course, and to the right, you just see this madman mm. sprinting. And to be to give him credit, <laughs> as, as annoying as I find it, you are 
gunning at oh, 400 yeah. meters. You were running, you know, under three minute kilometers, which uh, three minutes per k, which I most people do can't do. I probably couldn't do it. If I trained for it, I prob- probably could. Oh, if could I trained? For 400 meters. Yeah, yeah. Um, but these days for a k, you know, the best I can probably hope for these days is maybe a 310. I think, three, yeah, 310. Last time I, and this is a couple of years ago now, I think I did a 310 and, mm. it, was, and it was blitzing myself. So, mm. uh, yeah, maybe I could do it if I really trained, but... So yeah, so what we're, what you're looking for is: Are you looking for a classic technique? Are you looking for something like the pose technique? And what you want to do is go and find some footage, s- slow mo side on of um, athletes that run that way. So you've got a really clear visual on what you're trying to aim for. Number three: Learn some running drills. Uh, yep. I think uh, this is hard for people that are not in a coached environment, but there's plenty of information out there in terms of running drills. Um, I've still, if anybody's in New Zealand, I've still got a few copies of the Striding On DVD. If anybody wants one um, just get in touch with me but that's got all the running drills um, part of the reason for doing drills is, is obviously to improve your technique um, but a big part of it is just to improve your awareness of what your body's trying to do when you're running and that becomes especially important when you're getting tired in races so you can bring that into your race plan you know for me it's about you know lifting my heels having good good knee drive and by doing those drills you're going to Overemphasize the the action and uh, and just have better spatial awareness of what's going on. And when you do those things, you need to get filmed as well, so you can see if you're actually doing it right. Because I know from the running coaching that I do, especially on Monday nights, when people come along for the first few times, Bevan will know this from his running groups. You get them to do drills. Man, it is like people's coordination is um, somewhat like lacking. Skips and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, just on top of that cadence as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I'm always a big believer get cadence first and then work on length mm. uh, because a lot of people have real slow cadence and it's just so hard on the body. And so while you do want to get that stride length and knee drive and the kick and all that in place, do that measurement of just counting your footfall. You know, get an understanding of where your cadence sits. Now, there's different arguments on the amount of cadence. People kind of, gen- their general thought is at least 180. I think, was it um, Hotel? He did yeah. 200 cadence, didn't he? When he did the Quite, sub yeah, yeah. 230. Yep. It's a high it's, cadence. Yep. I think Kipchoge's about 180. Yeah. So so you just want a high cadence because it's just less demanding on the body. And then from there, as you increase stride length, don't, don't compromise cadence is the thing we've got to remember. Do you know what I just remembered, Bevan? What? John's swim set. Almost forgot about oh, it today. Thank God for that. I, was, <laughs> I, was, I, was, oh, I would have cried. Mm. Okay, what next? Uh, number four, try some mixed speeds run with varying your pace. So yeah. lots of you guys will be doing intervals, and intervals are great. You know, you might go and do one-mile repeats, 1K repeats, 400s, whatever. But you're always getting a bit of an interval uh, rest in between. And so then you're starting each interval, you know, semi-fresh. Um, so by doing a mixed paced run, you've got to really focus on changing your speed. So for example, you know, a classic sort of run I might do, anywhere between 9 and 15K, where you, uh, you're changing pace every K. So it might be, okay, I'm going to do 1K at... 405, 1K at 350, 1K at 340, and then just sort of repeat that 3K cycle. And what's really useful when you're doing that is when you're going for that slightly faster K, you're doing it in a fatigued state, and you've just got to concentrate that much harder, and that's a lot more what it's like when you're actually out there in a race, and you're having to try to keep the pressure on when you're in a fatigued state. So intervals are good, not saying that they're not, but having some mixed pace runs is really good as well. Also, I like doing, like fair runners, I like doing sessions like you do like an 80 minute session where you're doing a warm up race pace five five minutes of 5k pace mm-hmm. uh, race pace again 10 minutes of 10k pace and then a long block of race pace mm-hmm. so just getting them conditioned to getting fatigued and trying to sit at the pace you're trying to sit in on race day mm-hmm. so just mixing your sessions up not just for your interval sessions eh? 
Totally. Number five, learn to run slow with good technique. Um, a lot of people struggle to run slowly, so when you're doing that, you need to shorten your stride a little bit. Um, you need to reduce the, the drive or the push-off um, when you're running like that, but you do need to focus on having really good technique. Keep stepping over your ankles, um, so yeah, keep your cadence up, but learning to run slow is really important and one thing i would advise with that is actually use your gps watch so oh, if, if you do yeah. like a v dot calculator um then they'll give you what your easy pace is and it's just so easy to get caught up going fast mm. you know when you're out there running and so you know use that as a discipline and you let's just say six minutes of slow running six minute k pace is slow for you just think to yourself okay use my watch if i'm going faster slow down you know just train that into yourself as you're actually doing it and use that as a gauge okay john let's get into winger of the week i'm picking the number again this week bevan oh, you keep, you, keep, you keep stealing it from me. Well, it's, it's I have got two jobs on the show. It's got relevance, you see. Okay, go. Number fifty-three. Why are we doing number fifty-three, Bevan? Yeah. Is the number five and three? It's the end of America's Cup. Yes. <laughs> yes. So we're going. Don't worry. You guys are going to be hearing about the America's Cup very so soon. So currently, the score in the America's Cup is five races to us, three to the others. Uh, so I thought number fifty-three. Uh, she's been a previous winner as well of the uh, Wang of the Week, Rachel Cunningham from Wellington. She swam one hour and seven minutes. She biked thirteen hours and thirty-five, and she did a whopping fifteen minutes of running. So Rachel, uh, fourteen hours and fifty-eight minutes. She was uh, in fifty-third place. And she came on Epic Camp. Lovely lady. So she is from Wellington. Good work, Rachel. Wellington, New Zealand. She would have been watching America's Cup. I reckon the whole country pretty much stopped last night, didn't it? That's true. Tell you, we were going, we get excited, team, because we're going to be talking about this. Tell you what, back in October, she went crazy. She came on Epic Camp. Oh, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can see, basically, she did probably twice as much as her biggest month, yeah. three times as much as some other months. So yeah. you can see where Epic Camp's headed. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Jumbo, just, just quickly, questions. And I just want to give some love to the mountain snail because he did swam the length of te- Lake Tikapo. So it's from across the Tikapo, Topol. Topol, sorry. Topol. 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 <laughs> We've got to try to work on our He's going to give us another email now. He gives us an email every time we get it wrong. Topol. Poor. Topor. It's poor. Topor. It's got a long R at the end. Topor. Okay. How's it going? Tereo has come along. I've got to do my weekly Tereo classes, but lessons for you guys, but I'm lagging behind a bit on that. I'm shopping up. So he swam the length of. So how do they do it? It's basically, from the map I saw, it was the longest. You're not taking these shortcuts going, I'm just going to swim across like Topo. It's, it looks like the long, you've got to take the longest route possible, which looked to be about just over 40 kilometres, and he did it in 14 hours. And I think it was 14 hours and two minutes, maybe. Uh, non-wetsuit. Wow. That was, I thought, A, it's impressive. B, non-wetsuit. I thought, bloody hell. How, how, but so how does that work? He has a boat? Yeah, he has a boat along. All, all, Is it lots way. of people or was it just him? No, it was just him. Could well, there might have been others doing it. But it's not a race or anything. It's no, it's an achievement. <laughs> I've had it. John, I suggested to him. It's an achievement. I suggested to him we might have to change the name to like the slippery snail or the oh. swimming snail. No, or I something. think he'd like the mountain snail. He likes the, the, yeah. the lake snail, he suggested. Oh, the, the, the eel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, John, let's do your swim set. Swim set, right, right, I've got to remember just had Nicole there keeping the pressure on me this morning. Bloody hell, I was a bit tired at the end. Uh, we did a 400 warm-up every third length uh, freestyle. For some of us that were half a length behind, I had to cut half a length there. Uh, then we did 6 by 200, descend 1 to 3, 4 to 6. So that means you're going sort of steady, moderate, hard, steady, moderate, hard. 
and then we did 200 easy every second length not freestyle finished off with 10 times 100 1 100 steady 1 100 sort of a build up so we're, we're in a 33 and a third meter pool so it was like one length steady one length moderate one length hard 200 warm down 3k job done Nice, good work. That's this one, this week's one. Here. Okay, guys, if you want to become a patron on the show, uh, go to www.imtalk.me. It's a cool way to be a patron and support the boys and what we do. And these are some of the people who are patrons. Scott, the million-dollar man, McMillan. We've got David, the hound, Winterbottom. Kate, the pole vaulter, Wadwiak. And we've got uh, Dana Cowper, the dangerous deliverer. Mm. Uh, team, if you again, uh, if you want to be a patron, just go to our website. You can also get the show emailed to you down at the bottom of the front page. If you want some coaching, you can check out coachjohnnewsome.com. If you enjoyed my segment today and you want to check out my podcast, go to bevanjamesisles.com. Other, we- um, other content such as Age Group of the Week, cool websites, and other feedback, I am talkpodcast at gmail.com. John, you got We've got a couple of things we're going to be talking about today. Uh, the first one's America's Cup, isn't it? Okay. Yep. America's Cup. Uh, it. racing. I, it was kind of helpful. So I have a running group on Monday nights. Ooh. Because I had the race on Sunday and most of the people did the race, cancelled Monday night running, oh, not nice. knowing that the America's Cup was on. Yep. Cancelled it and uh, it was good. So, so I, I watched, we have one race at 4.15 and then have another race at 5.15. So I, I, wasn't, I knew I wasn't going to get my run in. So I did 30 minutes of call before the first race. Yep. Watched the first race and then ran out for a 35-minute run back in Big. time for the second race. So, so what's been really interesting about this America's Cup, so we're in the finals now. So the, the, they have a Challenger Series, the Prada Series, and the Luna Rossa, which is the Italian team, they won that. So they're taking on us for the America's Cup. And it's been an interesting cup, but a little bit frustrating because basically what's happening is the team who wins the start just wins the race and it's really hard to pass so in the first race yesterday it was the first time that a team that didn't win the start passed and luckily for us the Kiwis took it out and I'm at the gym and it was quite cool because I'm at the gym doing a bike ride on, mm-hmm. on a stationary bike and everyone you could see everyone watching it mm-hmm. so it was, everyone's doing a pump in the arms to each other so it was actually quite a cool feeling and then drove home mm-hmm. luckily quite five late. o'clock traffic wow I was a little bit stressed yeah. but got home just in the nick of time second race start what happens John? Uh, the start I can't remember what happened at the start I just know what happened we came off our bloody foils and just sitting there like a bloody so, so one of the things dead that, duck we've got these boats that are phenomenal if you don't know anything about America's Cup they look like monohulls but they've got these foils that come out from the side and they basically they sail on these foils one foil yeah and so um, on light wind if you fall off your foil you are screwed and about a quarter of the way into the race, Team New Zealand were going to pass, and we think, yes, I've done it again. <laughs> and then they drop off their foil, and within three or four minutes, Luna Ross is, is two k's up the up the field, and you're just in game over, aren't you? And so you're going from I don't know what kilometres per hour. You, you say you're going from thirty to forty kilometres an hour to zero. You know, you're not moving. <laughs> and, and do you know what I did at that moment, John? You cried? No, I thought, bugger, this one might as well get sort of dinner sorted out. <laughs> so Joe and I go into the kitchen and we're just having, Joe made some burgers, so I'm helping to make the burgers and stuff. And, and as we're like literally spending 15 minutes doing this, as we're walking from the kitchen, we go, imagine if they'd actually, imagine if they'd come up and Luna Ross would fall down and win the race. <laughs> Walk in the lounge, what had happened? Like Luna Ross had fallen off their foils. And we come back and won the race. It was That's awesome, right. wasn't it? It was very good. Might be the last day today, might not be. Apparently light wins. Mm. Kiwis, I tell you what, if you're overseas, you may not even know about the America's Cup. Kiwis love the America's Cup, don't they? They do indeed. Yeah. Uh, it's Bevan, I've got a couple of things from the, from the race at the weekend. Okay. That were well, quite, well, it was one I saw in the results. What was that? Thomas won his age group. Oh, yep. Sort of Felicity. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Yep. No, but it yeah. looks like Thomas's race was pretty close. 
Uh, yeah, it was reasonably close. Yeah, you know, he had a good, good solid race. Yep. He's got a turnaround today, though, and he's got the Canterbury, so that's our region, uh, 3,000 metres champs uh, in secondary school. So I, th- I think he's going to do pretty crap because oh, <laughs> the race was Sunday and today's Tuesday, so he's only had one day and in between. Is Felicity racing today? No, no, it's secondary school. So and how did she go in her race? She won hers, but she elected to go home with her grandmother, so she missed prize giving. And I have actually told her this yet. She missed a spot prize as well. So oh, <laughs> that's car. why you don't leave early. But anyway, there's a couple of things that happen <laughs> when you're race directing. Uh, and I'm basically a one-man band with these yep. events, and yep. I get lots of help in the day of the race and, and maybe a couple of days before and stuff. But it's a bit of a one-man band, and which it's bloody hard work, I will admit. Really, really hard work. Got to get your hands dirty and do things. Yep. So at yep. one stage, I Problem was free. Problem solved. I was uh, free, and I was sort of just going to help the guys that were ripping the, the timing chips off at the finish. You know, just... <laughs> and my sister-in-law apparently said I was leaving people hanging because... I was sort of standing in front of me. You know, you cross the finish line, yep. you're, you're puffed and you're buggered. And I'm sort of putting the big hand up going, stop. Yep. Like just, I'm, I'm holding my hand up like stop like that. And then I'm bending down uh, to take the chip off. And apparently, and I didn't realise this, apparently people were going to give me a oh. high five. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just then dropping down. <laughs> and just cold. leaving them hanging. <laughs> and she found that pretty entertaining. The other entertaining thing that I remembered from the morning was... Uh, I was highly pissed off the weekend before because there's a block of permanent toilets there and they're bloody doing works on the toilets. Yeah, I know because we had our runners here last week. <sighs> yeah. And luckily I had the council sponsor the event uh, and they arranged for some portable toilets okay. to be there. Um, and it wasn't quite enough. And I was looking over going, bloody hell, there's a big queue over there. And so I sort of went, I'll go over there and investigate. And I said to somebody in the line, those public toilets are open. I thought it didn't look like anybody was using them. And someone said to me, oh no, they're locked. Because you can see the locks on them. And I said, no, I've undone those locks. They're sitting there, but I've undone them. They're just sitting there. The, the toilets are fine. And so I walked over and, they, and they, they had the little red gauge on them. So it did look like they were, were not in use. And they had been like that in the morning. Okay. And I said, no, they're open. you've just got to rip these oh, doors open. <laughs> and I ripped the door open and there was a poor girl in there <laughs> going for a crap. And there was a massive queue. They like, oh, no. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> Have a good race. <laughs> oh, no. I did that one years ago. When we did the Tamaru Triathlon years ago, and uh, me and my mate Duncan and my mate Jay went down to support me, and he had a friend from, like, Scandinavia. She was a very attractive girl. And she's going to the toilet. And I just run into the toilet and didn't even think about it. She's doing number two. Yeah. And, and it... She was not happy for the whole weekend. Right. Like she did not like me at <laughs> all after that, and it was an accident. But God, you felt terrible. Yeah. Huh. So there was two things out of the race, but it was a good weekend. What about this weekend? This weekend, oh, Belinda's going away, so I'm, 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 I'm kid duty, kid, kid duty, and then I'm away four weekends in a row. Four weekends in a row. Yeah. What are you doing? Going to New Zealand Sprint Champs with Tom and a whole bunch of the juniors for secondary schools, and I'm doing a race there. And the next weekend, I think, is Easter, going to Kaiteri. Oh, nice. Next weekend is Epic Camp Mini up in Nelson. Yep. I am taking last-minute sign-ups if you want to look for some Hurry real up, adventure. Hurry up, get in there. Um, got a good 20 or so athletes coming, so it's going to be good times. And then the weekend after that, going to Stewart Island. And therein lies another story, but maybe I'll tell that one next week. Well, John, my big this week, other than the America's Cup, which I'm absolutely loving, uh, the band played live. Oh, yes. Yeah, so on Friday night, we went to the embankment. Uh, and what it was is we were, it was an open mic night, but mm-hmm. we were the feature band. So mm-hmm. open mic is anyone get up and play. And then this pub, every so often, well, every weekend, we'll have a feature band that plays. Mm-hmm. So we turn up. What's your band name? I See Tomorrow. Right. Yep, I see tomorrow. As an I, the letter, and then C? No, it's just, no. Oh, no, 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 no there's no quirkiness with it. No, yeah. just, just. 
just I see tomorrow. But when we rang the guy, the, the guy who's putting on the, 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 the night, he said, oh, that's a real cool band name. So we're happy with that. Uh, John, it's so good to be nervous. Mm-hmm. I was shit scared. Mm-hmm. Uh, even like we, because we, didn't, we didn't play till nine, maybe half past nine. Past your bedtime. I know, so I didn't leave here till like seven thirty, and so sitting on the couch just watching news, and I'm getting these nervous feelings. And so we get up and um, we get there, and there's a bit of a crowd there, and uh, we get up, and play our songs. The first song I have to admit because I videoed it to watch because feedback's important. I was pretty average in the first song, John, right. but it's because I was so nervous, man. God, I was nervous. And then after that, I got better and better. And the second half of the set, we played really, really well. Um, but what was really cool, and I'm, I'm quite proud of this because. Um, People who had never heard our song, by the end of the night, we had we played for about 50 minutes, everyone was up and dancing. Cool. Yeah, and that's like, and we're rock music, so we're not mm. like, you know, trying to, it's not dance music stuff, mm. but but it's, but it's by the end of it, we pretty much had the whole crowd up and dancing, so mm. that, I think I think we've got great songs, well not cool. great songs, but I think we've got good songs that we can do something with, but then we got off stage, and the guy who puts it together, so what happens is, once once a month, the best band from the Friday night gets to mm-hmm. go on a feature, to be a feature set on a Saturday night, and that's the real deal. Mm-hmm. And we got a stage and goes, oh, you guys can come on a couple of Saturdays from now. Cool. So we're pretty happy with that. It was de- it's stepping stones, um, long way to go, but but that was definitely, you know, any area of your life you want to grow, you've got to mm-hmm. overcome the uncomfortable, don't you? Mm-hmm, totally. And uh, so it was it was really cool. My stage presence at the beginning of the night, I looked like a. a Deer and a bit in headlights. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. By the end of it, I'm moving a little bit, but then there's a lot more room for improvement. Are yeah. we going to see any of this footage that you took on the phone? Have you not yet. Phone? No, no, because it's, it's very much just for feedback for us at this stage. We're not good enough yet. But um, we finish off recording the album this Sunday, and then the album should probably be ready in about six weeks after that, maybe seven weeks after that. So you, I'll, I'll be telling you guys to listen to it. Mm-hmm. And then I actually have a, a cunning marketing plan, John, right. which could be a total disaster, but I'm, I've got a cunning marketing plan which I'll put out there closer to time. But it was really cool because A, we got people out dancing, which mm-hmm. means our songs obviously have something in them, and B, that feedback of the, the, one of the things I think works for us, which is really lucky, is we're not a bass guitar and drummer. Mm-hmm. My key, I, when I bought my keyboard years ago, I thought if I'm gonna if I'm gonna play keyboard, I'm gonna spend the money and get a good keyboard. My keyboard is phenomenal, mm-hmm. and so the sounds of my keyboard are, are just awesome. And so with Dave, who's a great guitarist, and, and Paul, who's a great drummer. With my keyboard and my, my basic playing, we can have a sound that sounds so much more than just a pub band, mm-hmm. and so that definitely helps us as well. But it's 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 exciting, John. I'm excited. Great. Yep. So you know, within the next year, I probably won't be able to do the show because I'll be playing Wembley. Yeah, yeah. Although we, you come over, I come over. And the if I sell at Wembley, I'll bring well, yeah. you over, and you can. <laughs> That's a deal. <laughs> yeah, we can do the podcast from. Do it when I'm 50, and then I can just nip over the channel and do a win, race win. somewhere. Win win. There you go. Righty, guys. Let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Mendo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. kaha.